This is the I Went Down to the River podcast. I'm Dan Walton, and I will sit down with fellow alums and talk about what it meant to be a part of the Hawken football program and wear the wings. We share stories of friendship, memorable games, funny moments, and how football made us who we are. You don't need to be on a bus for these tangs. Now let's go down to the river. I am pleased to be joined by today's guest, a two-way starter by way of guard and strong safety. As a senior during the 1998 season, he was elected a captain by his teammates. He is number 56 on the roster. Please welcome Sean Powell. Sean, let's take this trip down to the river. How are you doing today? I'm great, Dan. Pumped to be with you. Thank you so much again for all your collaboration. Great to capture these memories across the classes. I'm looking forward to uh, hearing your story. Everyone's story, while some overlap, is unique, and I'm excited, Sean, to hear about your uh, years in the program and the things that stick out both from on-the-field moments and things that you learned from experience in the program off of the field. So let's go ahead and get into it with uh, what is your first and football memory? Yeah, Dan, so I transferred in my sophomore year from Kenston. Um, Kenson had just come off of uh, going to the state title game, lost 3-0, um, and I'm transferring from a school that had high expectations and had a lot of glory um, to a school that, frankly, I, I attended Hawkins as, as a kindergartner and then left and went to Kenson and then came back. Um, but my first true Hawkins football experience uh, was in the recruitment phase. Um, and I say recruitment, we didn't really recruit, but in, in my uh, uh, entry into the school tour in the weight room. Um, and I distinctly remember as so many of my counterparts do, um, that sign that hung in the top left, just, just North of the door. It said that the time will come when summer asks or when fall asks what you're doing all summer. Um, and I didn't appreciate that. I noted it and I remember looking at it. I didn't appreciate it, frankly, and this is not a football memory, but um, tying the two together to academics, you know, I came out of Kenston um, with straight A's, and that's not to brag. That's just to show the disparity between schools and expectations. My first math test with Miss Thompson, thanks, Miss Thompson, I got a 42% on, um, and it was such a wake-up call for me to recognize that that was on me, and that was something that I had to take accountability for. And I should have been doing everything I could to prep in advance of that test. Fast forward to that first week of football, and I'm thinking through that. And, and, and again, this was an entry exam for the most part. And, and it really struck me that I could no longer just get by on skirting on those others, that I had to take that accountability. I had to own it. And there were others, luckily, on the football field that were willing to hold me up and, and hold me accountable to those things. But in academics, I was out on my own and it was a lot more like a wrestling match than it was a, a sport of 11. Um, so that was my first memory was Hawking is going to be a brand new experience for me. I had to check my ego at the door coming in off a of state title. And again, I was on the freshman team. I didn't even dress for that, that state title game. Um, but ultimately recognizing that it was a, a place that endured character of man more so than skill, more so than anything else. Um, it was an overall brand new experience for me coming in as a sophomore and one that I frankly wouldn't have changed for the world. I, I cherish, I cherish that failure because it certainly inspired me to become a different person early on. 
you getting to uh, witness that Kenston runner up, uh, that was my cousin's senior year over there. He started both ways on uh, both the offense and defensive line, Mark Kautzman, shout out Mark. Um, and, uh, so I followed actually that whole playoff run. I was, uh, in the, in the bleachers watching that Kenston team go. And that was a, uh, quality team that you were a, uh, young member of the program on. Well, between Kautzman, who, if I'm not mistaken, went on to play Bowling Green. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. And then Tyson Walters, who, uh, was opposite him on the line. The other tackle went on to play at Ohio state and then with the mm-hmm. Cowboys for several years. Um, so definitely, uh, a, a slightly different caliber of talent coming in there, but, but no less or more heart than what we experienced. And that was another big lesson that I learned. Yeah. Good point, Sean. Good point. I like also how one of the things that definitely stuck out to you is the signage in that old weight room and specifically the time will come when fall will ask, uh, what you did all summer, because there were so many of those signs in there simple in nature, you know, cardstock and laminated and posted all over. And at the time you probably looked at it and smirked like most students did, or didn't even think much of it, but it's really interesting how many times I will talk to a past player and they remember verbatim or pretty darn close. So many of those messages on there and uh, how they've kind of gathered and carried them uh, throughout the year. Yeah. You know, two others, and I know one has been mentioned at length by many of your other guests, um, the get better, get worse. You know, we've got a a very modest little workout facility in my basement. I say facility, it's a a bench and a a pull-up bar. Um, And my wife has a bunch of legacy that went to Notre Dame. Um, And so on one side of the door, I've got the play like a champion today. And on the other side of the door, I, I have my own little makeshift laminate card of get better, get worse. And it's, it's just, a, again, a demonstration of the fact that that lives with you day in and day out. And I'm 30 years removed at this point from, from a lot of those festivities. The other one, Dan, that, that really stands out to me, and I use this one in business all the time, um, is that the, no one wants to hear about the labor pains. They just want to see the birth. Just want to see the birth. Yeah. And so those, those three are uh, the three that um, made monumental impact on me. Yeah. So that last one we talk about, you got to be willing to put in the hard work and you got to be able to uh, go through maybe a little bit of struggles to be able to get to what your end goal is and that it's not always going to be super easy for you. And so I would ask you, what is it about a football season that creates these individual and team growth moments uh, maybe more so than most other sports or activities that uh, you might find yourself going through, especially in high school. Yeah, I think there, there's two facets to this one for me. Um, the first one is there's no other sport outside of maybe golf where you pause between each and every contribution you make. You have a chance to either digest in a positive light or hold yourself uh, negatively based on the experience and the performance on the previous play. And so one of the things I loved about football in general is just that opportunity, every single play to reset, to set yourself up for a a higher level of success, to try something new, maybe get blown off the ball and and you do it differently the next time uh, and and you you return the favor, so to speak. But I think it's the opportunity to reset every single play with 10 other individuals that are on your same team that are counting on you to to make sure that you deliver. you take that up a level and you think about the, the fact that you're 
you're not guaranteed a play, let alone a, an entire game. And you hope in high school that you're going to be afforded the opportunity to have maybe two or three scrimmages, 10 full games. Um, and that's assuming you make it through healthy. That's all with the hope that you're, you're not playing just for 10 games. You're playing for 11 and 12. And, and outside of my Kenston experience, uh, again, I didn't dress for those varsity games, but uh, I, I was never afforded those opportunities at Hawken to, uh, to be a playoff contender. Uh, contender I was, never a playoff participant. Um, but I think to, to wrap that piece up to something that's so unique to, to football um, is because of the fact that you're strapping on that helmet every play and doing something different. Um, I'll never forget the first time that I, I saw a grown man cry on the football field and it was after loss. And it was because of the amount of emotion and heart and just passion uh, that you put into that. Um, and when you don't come together as a team, it doesn't mean it's necessarily a failure. It just meant it showed up as a loss in, or a, a check mark in that loss column. And I think that's unique to football as well. Um, and I played lacrosse, I played soccer at Kenston, I played other sports, I wrestled, um, but rare do you get that opportunity to sort of surround yourself with 10 other individuals. Luckily, you know, hopefully it's, it's a full team. Celebrate those, those successes and also reflect truly on your failures and recognize that every single player you're given an opportunity to, to step on and, and do something different the next time as well. It's that investment in putting in the work and that's why um it can hurt and we've talked about over the years as a coaching staff that uh you have to be willing to take that risk because if you don't if you don't put the hard work in if you don't make those you know we, we like to use that um visual of that atm machine if you don't put the deposits in then you cannot take the withdrawals out when you need to and so if you don't invest and if you don't put the hard work in yeah, it won't hurt when um, it doesn't work out in your favor, but what's what's in that? There's no there's no reward in that. So, yeah, when when you do see your teammates and you you do see uh, the emotion because there was so much invested and there was so much hard work, blood, sweat, and tears put into it, and you know uh, everything, every step it took to be able to get to put yourself into a moment where you could win that game when it doesn't work out that way, it does sting. It hurts. And, uh, but that's, that's what makes it so sweet when you get that W. That's right. And I do think that that, uh, the investment, you know, you, you make those deposits in the bank and, and I, you know, that one wasn't on the wall, but I use that one all the time too. And that's <laughs> definitely a coach Walton, uh, cliche, if you will, yep. uh, or Pearl maybe is a better way to put that one. But, um, I think it really causes you to dig deeper and, and question, have you made those contributions? Have you made the investments that you're, you're watching your other teammates make? Um, and until you are put in a position where you realize that your back is against the wall or you have just the clock expired and you came up short, you don't have really an opportunity to, to think about that as much as you do, again, sitting next to those other 10 individuals in that huddle and, and thinking through that. So I think that's another unique one to football. Yeah, I like how you measure it against your teammates, too, because then that factors in terms like accountability and responsibility. And am I being responsible to my teammates that are relying on me yeah. um, or am I being accountable to them? Either way you want to put it. Uh, I like that you compared golf and football the way you did, because at first glance, that's funny that anyone would ever compare those two sports. <laughs> but the way that you phrased it as far as 
that moment in between each play having a chance to gather and check before you go again and it not being this free-for-all game from first whistle to last whistle um, and coming together in that huddle format and to be able to uh, sort of come up with an answer or to keep it going. I love it. That's exactly right. Uh, Sean, so as we as we enter the program as a sophomore, let's uh, let's do kind of a moment or two if you got that are sticking out from sort of those two first years in the program as sophomores and juniors. Yeah, so uh, a new concept for me stepping onto a varsity field as a sophomore and dressing um, and also participating and tasks, frankly, it was an honor. I was given an opportunity to, to be the 12th man um, on special teams. And for, for those that don't have a Hawking football background, um, that's not someone that's cheering in the fans and stands like uh, you might understand with the, the 12th man in, in Seattle. Um, that's someone that has to understand the, the responsibilities for every single special teams position out on the field. And whether that's punt, punt return, kickoff, kick return, you name it. Um, we also installed a, a gun punt package uh, my junior year, if I'm not mistaken, which rather than sending the punter out, we sent uh, your, your brother and legend Jeff Walton out uh, as the kicker, who was also our quarterback and, and had some other unique opportunities to do some trickery. Uh, but to that end, um, having the mind for football and keep in mind, too, I came in my sophomore year, I was very realistically probably I wrestled at 125. So I was probably 5'7", 130, 132. Um, and give you an example uh rob turner who was a tackle at kirtland went on to if i'm not mistaken win the state championships as heavyweight that year um i'd line up against him uh in a punt formation uh as the guard sam borsalino had gone out for some reason i can't recall exactly what it was um and i remember rob turner looking across the line laughing out loud um, and pointing at me and, and yet you have the courage because you've been practicing and this was week nine or week 10, I think. Um, but you have the courage and you know that your team's going to be around you and they're going to be there to support you. And, um, all I had to do is get in his way. Uh, and, and frankly, I knew I had a responsibility and I had to know all 11 responsibilities. Luckily I was never put in as a snapper, the kicker, um, or the returnment for that matter. But, you know, knowing situational awareness, you know, having to call out when it's second and long, you may want to start looking at, do we get the punt, punt team together and are we going to aggregate on, on the 30 yard line? Um, and to this day, when I get together with my buddies, you know, Brian Osborne, Jim Dempsey, Richie Carter, guys from my class, uh, it, it usually takes less than five minutes for someone to go, put one, two, three, four, five, put, and, and it's, uh, it's definitely a shot on my style. Um, but I took that job super seriously and, and it was my opportunity to, to contribute. Um, and again, I wasn't likely to contribute in many other ways that sophomore year just because I was so fresh and, and so new. Um, but it was my opportunity to demonstrate to the team that I was going to do everything I could to, to put my best foot forward and, and make sure that we were successful and prepared, which is another big mantra from football. Yeah. So in our best years, 12th man is an individual in some years where our numbers are a little bit lighter, maybe uh, we have an upper class grade that has 
single digit low numbers and we're just kind of really thin in a lot of places. We've had to use more than one 12th man and that's not ideal, but that 12th man is so important. And I just think of, they have to be versatile in their ability to be able, like you said, to be able to cover virtually almost all positions because we're probably not going to trot the 12th man out as the backup extra point kicker or punter or snapper in that case. From time to time, it's happened, but that's not the use. Um, and you have to be smart. You have to know all facets of the special teams, both coverage units and return units, and you have to know everyone's job. And it's not just, I know if they put me in on kickoff return, I'm going to be front line and then just focus on that. You have to be sharp and you have to be bright to be able to know all of those concepts because it's uh, you're there to manage and organize from the sideline whenever that special teams coach calls for it. And then if they're one short and they need someone, you're running in and usually you're just crossing the hash mark and you find out where you're going to. So it's about sudden change. It's about going out there and finding out on the fly and doing your job. As soon as you know what it is, you know, I go out there, this is where I'm going. This is my job. This is what I have to do. Now I'm going to do it. And uh, it's not for everyone. And I think for you to be able to get that as a sophomore uh, is pretty impressive. Yeah, again, it was an honor. Um, and, and while I probably catch more flack for it today than I do uh, any applaud, it's all right. It, it, it's, again, something I was happy to do and, and, again, honored to do. When we think about some of those other experiences coming in as a sophomore, um, you know, the, the preseason testing, um, conditioning testing was another thing that was new for me. Um, to have that posted up in the weight room, uh, you know, your, your reps on the bench, your, um, dot drills and some of the others, your 800 time, your 40 time. Um, and I remember the fact that it was posted brought a, another level of, of, again, accountability to it is that you had to put that time in through the summer to, to get there. And I remember Dud Humphrey, um, who was a senior when I was a, fr- a sophomore, um, refused to count one of my reps on my bench because I didn't lock out. Uh, and, and while I was perturbed at the moment, it was another great life lesson that there's no shortcuts. Uh, and, and you're not going to three quarters of the way block someone and, and be successful. Um, or you're not going to run 99 yards and trip on the one yard line and get to the end zone. And so, um, again, just these consistent themes of things that I, I recognized could only come through experiences like that. And they never tasted good. They never felt right, but man, were they impactful. And I'm so blessed to, to sit here and share them with you and, and think back on them. Well put again, uh, it's those little, little lessons at the time that stick with you and become kind of uh, permanent fixtures in your, in your life, sort of moving forward, business, family, personal, otherwise. Um, and uh, I appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah. Uh, you, you talk about how the testing results were posted and that that was not done, obviously. I mean, we know, but it wasn't done to humiliate or make anyone feel bad. But it was that piece where I know I'm going to have all of the work that I put in in the offseason in the summer posted with my teammates. And uh, I, I want to be at the top. I don't want to be sitting towards the bottom. I don't want to have any underclassmen when I'm a senior 
test anywhere near me. I want to be above them. If someone's going to be ahead of me and bench squat, number of reps, amount of weight, it, it better be a classmate of mine. And even then I'm still trying to beat them all. That's right. That's right. No doubt. Um, and you had, you had an interesting little uh, three-year run where you had the same record all three years, sophomore, junior, senior year. Is that correct? That is correct. We were six and four all three years. Um, had an opportunity to go to seven and three my senior year, which we'll talk, talk mm-hmm. about here in a little bit. But, um, you know, it was, it was interesting. I think I, I could be wrong, but I'm, I'm fairly certain we kicked every year off one and oh. Um, and my sophomore year, uh, that went on to three and oh. And I want to share that that second game uh, was against the other team in our, our uh, area, um, <laughs> university school. And we were down, if I'm not mistaken, going into the third quarter. Brian Basic, who um, I went on to become great friends with, and he was two years ahead of me, but we ended up living together in Chicago. Um, one of my first real memories thinking back about those those times in your life that Hawking football continues to make it an impact from a field experience. Um, I'm sitting there talking to Coach Christie on the sidelines and basic pulls an ice uh, and takes it to the house for the victory. Um, and unfortunately, that was the only year in my tenure that we ended up beating university school. But but ultimately, that, that it was sweet. As a sophomore, I can only imagine what it must be like for those that wanted as a junior or a senior. Um, and so then I think we went on to win against Gilmore and a couple other schools, um, that team, that was our first real exposure that I, I know of to some of the, um, consistent schools in the Chagrin Valley conference. I think we played Chagrin that year and a couple others. Uh, we ended, ended, ended up entering the CVC. I think it was my junior year, but it could have been my sophomore year. Your sophomore year, but it was, it was almost informal in nature because they were still trying to decide how big the conference was going to look. So yeah. the your schedule that sophomore uh, 96 season uh, was basically the grounds for the creation of it. And then your junior year is kind of when it started to look a little bit more established and then moving forward. Yep. Yep. And that makes good sense. And, and again, going back to my, my Kenston roots, Kenston was exiting the CVC at that point to enter the Western reserve conference. And so, you know, it was, it was always interesting for me to think about, you know, Kenston who had, 60, 70 guys on the team. It was just coming off that state runner up title. Um, and then here I am getting some, not a lot of PT, but at least a little PT as a sophomore on a team with 35, 40 kids. Um, and so playing against those same schools, it, it gave me a, a quite a juxtaposition to, to compare against. But um, junior year, frankly, while we had some, some hard hitters, you know, basic transferred in. Um, and I remember he ended the season with a, a cracked helmet and we all thought that that was uh, ungodly. We, we didn't know how that could happen. Um, but we had some size on that sophomore year too. We had Sam Borsolino and Schaefer and um, Lance Osborne, who was brothers of Brian Osborne in my class. But I think the most talented, Chuck Lombardi was another one in that class too. Um, another, I think the most talented class um, as far as speed and installing some unique packages on offense was my junior year. Um, Ben Sands and Scoggins and Billy Brown, who went on to play. um, I think all three of those guys went on to play, if I'm not mistaken. Um, And yet, for one reason or another, and and I know, again, some of your other podcasters have assured this, 
you get unique personalities on a team and, and sometimes you come together um, as incredible talent and you do incredible things. Sometimes you're a, a bunch of guys that uh, can barely demonstrate much more than just being strong um, and not have a lot of talent. And yet they, they do incredible things. And, and for, unfortunately for our junior year, I think the juniors in that class, Kirkland turn and, and Roger Moore were captains with Ben and, and your brother actually, who was a, a two-year captain that year. Um, I, I think they, that was probably the one that got away from us. We, we did go six and four, but man, it felt like we could have gone so much further than that. It's so, it's so interesting to think about the, unique and individual sort of DNAs of not just classes, but teams. And to think about how there's so many similarities, but also there's so many movable pieces and parts that have to come together that are different and uh, come along and get along. And so uh, it, uh, it definitely makes sense when you talk about those, those years and how that 97 team while talented and athletic and um, able to do so many things, uh, there were some challenges there as far as putting it all together and maybe maybe reaching what you know potential other people thought of it. Yeah, well, one other name that I didn't mention there that uh, actually was in our class. It was our junior year, but um, he didn't join us again. Our senior year was Darnell Hill, mm. um, and he was uh, wrestled at 189, if I'm not mistaken, but just a tank and was one of the fastest interior defensive and smaller defensive linemen I've ever seen, but it felt like every other play he was in the backfield um, blowing up running backs and quarterbacks. Um, He also played fullback for us, my um, for a little bit that season, but uh, you know, he was one that that unfortunately didn't finish out at Hawking um, and we lost him for after our junior year, but, but then again, you know, who knows what we would have done differently with him our senior year, but now just another incredibly talented athlete. Uh, during practice lining up at guard, did you ever have him line up across from you? I think it was pretty frequent. I did. Yeah, okay. uh, I think it was also pretty frequent that uh, I was doing everything I could to, to just cut block sure. uh, and get in his way. You know, the, the other thing I'll share with you, Dan is um, I came in, as a tailback or an H back, um, and a safety, um, and, uh, developed a very, very serious disease, um, my sophomore and junior year called Powell-itis, uh, <laughs> which was some combination of stone hands and butterfingers. You never knew which one was going to hit though. So it wasn't consistent. You couldn't solve <laughs> for just one. You had to try and solve for both. Um, but you know, my junior year, uh, Somewhat late in the fall, um, two-a-days, Moses and your dad approached the team. And at that point, I want to say the class ahead of us, uh, my my junior year, I think our seniors were six, maybe six or seven. I can't remember exactly. Um, But we were light on offensive linemen and we were deep on running backs. I think we had nine or 10 running backs. Um, And so you're, you're, they pulled us into the field house and they said, you know, there's interest in uh, shifting some of these positions around. Do we have any volunteers? And I had uh, made a gentleman's bet with some of my buddies at at Kenston that I would score a touchdown before they would. Um, And so I was a little hesitant to uh, uh, raise my hand, but I did approach your father after practice that day. And I said, look, I know I've learned anything through you and through the character that you hope to instill is that, this is above just any individual contribution. And so 
I'm happy to, to explore what that might look like, you know, and at that point I probably weighed 140, 145. So it wasn't much of a, a big contributor. Um, my favorite part about that though, was again, coming back to this theme of accountability, doing what you will say you will do. And uh, I want to say we went defense first that next day on the two days. And then we, we broke for lunch and then came back for offense um, and I was right back with the running backs thinking I'll do this gradually, um, but I'm not ready today. And, and your dad came up and tapped me on the shoulder pad. And he said, what are you doing? I said, I'm practicing. He said, you're in the wrong group. But <laughs> and, uh, from that day on, I don't think I ever took another snap as a back, um, an offensive back. Um, and man, just trying to figure out how to even get into a three point stance with my good hand, let alone my offhand. Some of those lessons uh, from my, my junior year were interesting, but um, yeah, so, you know, guard going up against D Hill, going up against some pretty big boys. Um, it was always interesting. And, uh, you know, again, it was my ability to show that I could care less if I got a touchdown, I could care less if I got the ball. Let's, let's go out and win some games. That doesn't happen every season. Um, but when it does happen and that, conversation with the team from the head coach about hey we are in need of someone to switch positions and more often than not um, within our program it tends to be that we need sort of an extra body on the offensive line um, it's not a hundred percent that but the majority of the time it's that's the ask and just what that says about the individual and his commitment to his teammates is amazing. And it's something that uh, I hope that for guys that have had teammates that have done that, that there's an appreciation there for what that is and the selflessness and just how important the we is and how not important the me is. And it's about us collectively reaching this together and not me holding out so I can be at a, a position I would prefer to be at, but, um, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. It's a pretty cool thing when that happens. Well, I think, uh, I think acquiring polyitis um, or being diagnosed. And I think it was your brother that was, it might've been Dusty Dykstra too. They both like to hold that one over me. <laughs> uh, but uh, between those two, the fact I didn't have hands made that a lot easier. Sure. Uh, anything you want to bring up or mention about your first two years in the program, or you want to move on to senior year? What are your thoughts? You know, um, just some additional kind of first memories that, that I will touch on that sure. I haven't heard some of the others touch on. Um, kangaroo court, uh, you know, the first time I got exposed to that was right before our first game, again, my sophomore year. And just the the intent to, to lead with a little bit of humor and recognize that we all make some some good, honest mistakes that are worth a laugh and having the humility to, to be able to do that, I think was important. Um, some of my favorite kangaroo courts that I was a part of before a JV game my sophomore year, um, Dykstra, Dusty Dykstra and I are shadow boxing in the locker room and I stepped right into a right hook, blew <laughs> my nose up. Um, and every play thereafter, um, through that entire game. I mean, I looked like I probably lost a gallon of blood out of my nose on my Jersey. Um, and the, the kangaroo court that we got from Christie was, uh, Dykstra got, I think a dollar fine for beating up his teammate before the game. Um, 
or no, I got a dollar fine for getting beat up before the game, but Dykstra got a $5 fine because he didn't even put me on my duff and he was twice my size. So um, just some of those things that, uh, you know, make you laugh and, and brought that. Uh, it's always good, I think, to have that level of seriousness, but also good to build camaraderie around the things that, that do go beyond the field. Um, so that was another fun one. The Honorable Judge Christie, all right? Yes, the Honorable, the Honorable. <laughs> Um, and then also, I, I think the only other thing I'll just mention about my, my kind of first thoughts entering the program were um, just the, the caliber of coaches and how incredible they were um, as far as people. Um, and, you know, Coach Herman Arvey came in from the, the Cleveland Browns my junior year, and, and he instilled a little swagger in us, which was great. But you think about those long timers, um, Moses and, and the amount of time that he dedicated to that program and developing gentlemen and individuals and men of character, your dad, that was always front and center, right? Um, you know, mm -hmm. shaking hands and making sure that you're doing the right things. Um, Rodriguez, Christie, Davis, you know, all those guys contributing in unique ways. Greg Sale, who was there for a couple of years and, and did some, some kicking and things too. Um, and then the upperclassmen that uh, come back, I say upperclassmen, those that had since graduated that come back and, and, you know, try and give back to the program as well. So um, it was just something that I, I, it was a brotherhood and, and a commitment to more than just the sport that really stood out to me and continues to do so. Definitely does. Definitely does. Uh, so as we're, as we're moving into that senior season, you are elected as a captain by your by your peers, by your teammates. Talk about what that meant for you at the time to be um, bestowed that honor. Yeah, I will tell you, um, that was a life changing experience for me for a lot of reasons. One, I had uh, quit football at Kent's in my fifth grade year. I just wasn't in love with the sport. Played it my freshman year at Kenston, didn't love it because it was, again, a different program, uh, different values, um, and I just wasn't, didn't think I was necessarily cut out for it. Coming to, to Hawken, um, recognizing that it was a, about more than just the, the sport of football got me really engaged and energized. I wrestled that year because of the respect that I had for, for your father and for Rodriguez and Christy. Um, and realized that I was doing the wrestling piece for myself, um, not for, uh, or excuse me, I was doing it for others. I was doing it for, for frankly, your brother, Jeff, and for coach Walton and for coach Rodriguez wasn't something I, I loved my junior year. I didn't wrestle. And I spent a lot of time in that weight room, um, and realized that I needed to step up if I wasn't going to wrestle, which you know, that opportunity to step out on a mat for six minutes by yourself uh, with your, your teammates behind you puts you through life lessons that, again, you can only articulate in so many unique ways. Um, but I put forth a tremendous amount of work. I was in the weight room every day. I was doing everything I could to demonstrate that my lack of commitment to wrestling had nothing to do with my lack of commitment to athletics or to the, to the football team. Um, and I had no real aspirations of even thinking that I was going to be in the running for captain. I mean, we had great athletes. We had folks that had been lifers at, at Hawken and, and folks that frankly had 
already put their names in the record books. And here I am coming in as a guy who saw a little bit of time on defense, um, had one pick my junior year. I think I probably played, I don't know, 40 or 50 snaps my senior or my junior year in offense, but not a lot. Um, but it showed me to use another cliche. It's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's about the size of the fight and the dog that, that really puts you and sets you up for that. And, uh, you know, one other side story to being elected captain, um, we were notified of who the captains were. And, and frankly, there were much better athletes in my class that weren't elected. Um, and I felt for them too, because I, I thought, gosh, you know, it just bestowed a unique honor on me that I felt like I needed to reach out to them. The other thing I knew I needed to do immediately was walk in your dad's office. I had scheduled a month long camping trip um, that going into my senior summer. Uh, for the month of June, uh, immediately after the academic year ended. And I left that trip. Uh, I, I walked in your dad's office and I said, look, I'm, I'm going to suggest that I'm not captain. It's not fair to those that aren't captain that I'm taking a month away from the team. Um, and he said, no, your team elected you. There's responsibility that you're going to have to stay in shape while you're out there. And, and that's on you. Um, but I'm not going to suggest you take that away. I think that's honorable of you to, to come suggest that, but we want you as the captain of this team and, and your teammates obviously do too. So, so you better come back ready. And I think I left, I put on quite a bit of tub, uh, that, that winter, my junior winter, since I wasn't wrestling and all I was doing was lifting. Um, and I think I left 170. Um, which was a, a, a big increase for me. And I came back at like 155 um, and just shredded. Uh, and it was probably the best shape I've ever been in. I was doing, I was on the Herschel Walker workout. I was doing several <laughs> hundred push-ups a day and several hundred sit-ups a day while we were hiking through the Rocky Mountains. Um, and I think part of that was the caloric intake decreased significantly because I was only eating what I could on my back. But I was probably running like a, I'm embarrassed to say this, these are Tom Brady speeds, probably a five, two, five, three, 40 coming in, uh, or before I left and I came back and I think I ran a four, eight, five or something like that. So, um, I distinctly remember coming in my senior year after that trip and thinking, all right, I've, I've, I've done everything I can to contribute to the preseason workouts. Now, now it's time to, to do this with the team and make sure that we're all prepared. So to answer your question more succinctly, it was life-changing for so many reasons. And, and I still point to that as probably one of the penultimate moments of my development uh, and transition from a teenager to um, a young man. You state that you might have been surprised because, you know, playing time was maybe a little bit sparse leading up to and uh, other things that you mentioned, but if, if we just sort of take that step back for a moment and we see your responsibility and handling of the 12th man as a sophomore, and we see your um, ultimate sort of positional sacrifice to move from where you were to the offensive line to be able to help the team, um, knowing how hard that you do get after it in the weight room uh, for those, for those reasons and more um, it really, it, it shouldn't, be a surprise to the people listening right now, because for those reasons, and then for your ability to be able to communicate with your peers and to the coaches are just 
additional reasons why that captaincy was uh, deserved. Yeah. Well, it uh, especially standing amongst your brother, Jeff, uh, who was our quarterback and, and our safety that year. And then Brian Osborne and Jim Dempsey. It was uh, it was an honor. Um, so speak about yourself amongst those three and sort of the, the dynamics and sort of the characteristics and what type of uh, captains you were getting out of those that group of four. Yeah. So, um, you know, Jeff was was no question the most dedicated. He, he ended up winning an old board and, and both that and wrestling that his senior year. Um, you know, named a captain as a junior. I know that there have been a couple other experiences like that, but not too many. Um, and, you know, his ability, uh, and I'll never forget, I, I want to say it was, must have been our junior year going into our senior year. He coming in at, uh, I want to say he wrestled at 152 our sophomore year. Um, and, and we talked about him getting up to 175 our junior year. And that was, you know, how do you, how does one put on 25 pounds of muscle in a year? And he, he came in at like 180. I mean, it was unbelievable. So, you know, the dedication and also the talent out of your brother, um, I, I think was something that I will always hold, hold true in my heart. And I, I don't know that there's anyone that has ever worked harder for anything than, than I saw Jeff work. Um, balance that. And I do think that it's important to have this balance with um, the good spirited, a little bit more easy go lucky uh, behavior and, and characteristics of, of Brian and, and Jim, um, who probably weren't going to spend eight hours in any given week in a weight room, but but yet put in the, the effort and demonstrated that they had the talent and were willing to commit to the team. Um, and so I think it was a real strong, solid balance of camaraderie. Let's build a brothership. Let's have fun. Let's go do things. Let's have, let's go to Quaker Steak and Lube when it was just over the PA border and, and get wings <laughs> one night and, and do that as a team um, with, you know, let's get down to work. Um, let's, let's review some film. Let's, let's, you know, do put in an extra rep or put in a couple extra laps on the track, whatever it may be. Um, so it was, it was a good, healthy balance between those. Yeah, you definitely want balance in your leadership and you don't need three voice dominant people in front of your team always jockeying for the most words or for the last uh, the last line. And you don't on the flip side want three guys that are all I'd rather not talk right now. I have a soft voice and uh, I'm just going to be an excellent example with my work ethic. You need you do need that balance. So important to mention that. That rang true, and I hate to, to regress here, but um, Ben Sands, who was a captain my junior year, was probably the best example of nearly silent, um, and yet you never questioned where he was on the field uh, because his actions spoke so much louder than his words. But that was the first true example that I remember of thinking you don't have to lead with your voice, uh, and it was a, just a great, again, indicator of that. Yeah, there's, there's no problem at all about having a uh... – a leader on your team or a captain on your team who follows that uh, you just can't have that be your only leadership uh, that comes through for your team. Because I'm sure when Ben spoke up, albeit not often, but if he spoke up, everyone was like, Whoa, um, I'm going to take everything he just said. <laughs> yes, no doubt. No doubt. Uh, before we get to uh, week one, I just want to go back. INT junior year. Who was it against? Yeah, who was it against? Ber Paint the picture. Berkshire. Berkshire. Um, it was scrub time. It was uh fourth quarter for you sure. Didn't, you didn't have to add that part. You, you know just... what? That's all right. That's all right. Um, and I can't remember exactly what the final count was, 
And uh, I distinctly remember Christy asking me if I actually moved when the ball was snapped because they were clearly making a read on the throw. And I want to say it was a, a slant. And I don't think I moved. I think he, I, I just saw it coming at me. I sit, it being the receiver, I sat there. Um, and next thing I knew, and again, a, a tremendous demonstration of Paulitis. I didn't even try to catch the ball with my hands. I just trapped it in my shoulder pads. <laughs> Uh, and as I was off to the races. I think I, I had a, I don't know, 12, 15 yard return, which for me felt great. But, uh, you know, it was it was one of the only true personal contributions outside of a sack or two in my senior year that I could point to that uh, that I felt like I had I'd, I'd earned some points and zonks. Hey, it, as long as it ends up in your hands at the end of the play, I mean, how many times do you see a defensive player and it just turns into a PBU because it, it, it just blows up off of their hands or chest. So you might've, you might've trapped it against the body or whatever, but it's still an interception. And it was, uh, I think probably a pretty good memory. Yeah. Well, and, and again, just looping some of these together. Um, I think it was my sophomore year. It could have been my junior year. Um, we had a play and it was one of my first snaps on defense and it was against Gilmore. Um, and he, uh, the receiver, we, we won the game. I remember that. And I remember we were up quite a bit and it was right before halftime, but the receiver ran a hook. I bit hard on the hook and then he kept on going, uh, hook and go. And sure enough, I'm watching the ball float over my head. And, and afterwards my stepfather, uh, who attended every game, the three years I was at Hawking, um, said that he was talking to one of the other fathers and he said, you know, it's a, it's a tough play for a linebacker given the fact that I was wearing number 56. Um, and he said, yeah, the issue is my son's not a linebacker. <laughs> and I think they probably thought the same thing when they were seeing a safety out there wearing five, six, but uh, anyway, all good stories, all fun. All right. Week one uh, field high school. And this is a home contest. Like you said, uh, your three years in the program starting off uh, the season one and oh. And so this uh, this was by way of a 22 to 17 victory over field and uh, quite an interesting finish to the game, as I'm sure you will talk about. Yeah, there's really if and I can't remember the score going in at half, but I know we were down. Uh, we were down 14 um, zero at halftime. I, that's what I thought, but that, that seems more insurmountable than I thought it was. So 14 zip going in, mind you 14 um, zero at halftime. And then they kicked the field goal in the third. So it was a full 17 zero at some point during the third 17 zip. Some other things to know about that first game of the season. It's probably, I, I remember it being 85. It could have been 65, but it was hot and the sun was baking down. Yeah. And again, that's a Saturday afternoon game, um, which I know isn't uh, necessarily the norm anymore. Or even I don't even know if they still play on Saturdays, but um, it was a, a demonstration. We went into the the locker of the field house at halftime, and, and I think we all knew that it was hot. We were tired and we were down, but they weren't doing anything that we couldn't respond to. Um, and, and it was that quiet confidence, I'll say, looking back, knowing that we came back to win that game. Um, but it was also, a, we're not in a position to roll over. We're not cramping. Let's hydrate. Let's get back out there and, and let's, let's reverse course here. And sure enough, slow and steady, we started uh, coming back. Um, and not only did we come back, we won that game. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, was it 24, 17? 
22-17. Yeah. yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, in and call it the concluding two plays of the game, we had we had somehow ended up with the ball on like the the 10 yard line. Um, and we're trying to run the clock down. Jim Dempsey, who uh, was playing fullback for us at that point in time. Um, I think we ran a, a trap or a dive. I can't recall. And play is all but dead. There's a huge pile in the middle of the field. And, and I look up and Dempsey's running down the sideline. He bounced it outside. Um, and somehow he got caught by somebody. But the more important thing is the referee passed him. Um, and he got a good kangaroo court for that one. But, but with that, um, you know, I think we probably could have ended that game with a larger uh, score in our favor. Um, we didn't end up scoring that final drive that I recall. But uh, the interesting thing was just that I think it was indicative of the fact that we were finding unique ways to do things and, and we weren't going to give up. And it was also, again, going back to that mantra from that, you know, summer will last, or fall will ask what you were doing all summer. And we had clearly – out hustled and outworked those guys in the off season. And frankly, had we met them later in the season, who knows what the outcome would have been. Um, but I, I think it was the tenacity and the fight that we had that kept us in that game and ultimately allowed us to, to come back and win it. And so week one, you guys have this great moment in the field house locker room. And so we're going to, we're going to visit it here where we are down 17 zero at halftime and clearly not, not the way that we pictured that you and your teammates thought the, the score would look at halftime. And I'm sure you had multiple coaches, maybe even some players saying as you exited that field house to go out and get ready for the second half, it's zero, zero. All right. And so we talk about canceled check, whatever happened in the first half, whether it's good and we're up 17, zero, or in this case, we're down 17, zero, zero, zero. Let's go out and win the second half. And so a lot of guys hear that, but how many are willing to actually believe it? And not just believe it as they exit the field house, but believe it as they cross back onto that field and get ready for two more quarters of football and for you guys to battle back and score 22 unanswered. Um, that's pretty, uh, that's pretty awesome. As, uh, as I can distinctly hear your dad say it was sweet. Uh, it, was a, <laughs> it was a sweet way to end the game and, and sweet way to kick off the season. And frankly, you know, you think about legacies, um, Coming in first game as a captain, uh, and I knew that we had started the, my previous two seasons one and oh. Some of that legacy of what my predecessors had done was weighing pretty heavily that halftime as well. And and I think it's the spirit of that 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 rings true. That you're not just playing for yourself, you're not just playing for your team, you're playing for your school and everything it represents. And so that that certainly was one I remember coming out for halftime warmups, thinking that uh, we're not starting my senior year off 0-1 just because of the fact that we wouldn't allow it. So that comeback was a 31-yard pass to Dykstra from Jeff, a 26-yard pass to Dykstra from Jeff, and then an 11-yard run by Sam McCreary uh, with just a little over three minutes left in the game. Um, so we start off one and oh, and we got week two against our rivals university. And, uh, this was a tough game all around tough opponent and, uh, a game in which, uh, university definitely gets the best of us and, uh, kind of, kind of gets unraveled a little bit at the end, so to speak. 
Yeah, so, so maybe I'll, rather than reflecting on that one so much, I'll go back and give Sam some some kudos since he just brought him up on that 11-yard that run. You know, Sam, if I'm not mistaken, was a freshman that year. Um, and we had a junior class that was super light. Um, if I'm not mistaken, uh, it ended up being four that, that played into their senior year, um, which really gave the freshmen and sophomores unprecedented opportunity to get their feet wet. Um, and Sam actually competed against me in a couple different areas. Um, primarily he pushed me on, on defense. Um, he was getting reps at Hawk when I was coming off. Um, and, and I think again, the ability for a school to recognize that, uh, in introducing those that are ready into the battlefield is there's no better experience and to have the trust and the faith to put the ball in a freshman's hands with the game on the line when they're trusted and when they've demonstrated they put forth the work, I think is something that, that again, goes to the, the spirit of the character of the, of the team and the organization. So um, fast forward that to uh, a, a really painful week two against us. Um, and they had some incredible talent that year, no doubt. Uh, they hands down were bigger. Um, but ultimately we can, we can fast forward through that one, unless there's, there's something else you want to share on that. No, there isn't. Um, so we're sitting at one and one following that game. And so week three is, uh, bringing on another rival, the Gilmore Academy. And, uh, this is a game in which we get back into the W column by way of 33 to 19. Yeah, and, and that one, uh, it was a home contest. Um, and I remember a couple of unique things about that game. Um, one, because we were in a position to, to take the lead early on, uh, we started to experiment a little bit um, on defense in particular with different blitz packages. Um, and, uh, you know, selfishly, this story was, was just about me, but I, I think I had a 19 yard sack for a loss on that, in that game that I've got a, an awesome picture that floats somewhere in my photo albums. Um, but I, I, you know, I, I mentioned my interception junior year. I think that was probably my biggest play senior year defensively. Um, but you know, Gilmore, uh, was always a group of gentlemen. They were always, um, you know, strong competitors, but, but for one reason or another, we had their number three years in a row and, and it was great to exit that game, recovering from a really tough loss that deflated the team quite a bit against us um, and, and enter week four, which I believe started divisional play um, two and one. That Gilmore uh, offensive attack against the Lancers was so balanced two Oh three on the ground, two Oh five through the air. Um, Adam hours, two big catches for 50 yards, Dykstra, another game over a hundred off of five catches, Matt Roth with two, uh, two catches for 31 and Osborne one for 14. Um, Dykstra takes one back to the house for good measure in the fourth quarter by way of a 27 yard interception return. So a lot of, uh, a lot of names getting, uh, good recognition in that game and it's good to be back. Um, in the two and one, uh, column. So like you said, starting up the CBC conference, and now we have week four Aurora and, uh, 
these first two contests against Aurora and Perry, just big schools that uh, the conference was trying to figure out how many schools they need to let in so they can actually balance it and have it make sense so that some of the small, smaller schools in Geauga County uh, aren't going up against Aurora and Perry um, and Chagrin nonstop. So uh, a definite uh, two weeks in a row of going up against really big, talented schools and taking some lumps. Yeah, I'll, I'll kick off with um, Perry was first, right? Aurora first, Aurora week four, first, then okay. Perry is yeah, five. Yeah, so, so Aurora was home, if I'm not mistaken, on that one too? Correct. Yeah, yeah. Um, so back-to-back home weeks, um, which was great. Two very different results. Uh, Aurora, um, you know, some some aside on that one. Um, I can't remember the kid's name for the life of me, but I want to say he ran for 350 yards against us. Um, and I distinctly remember sometime in the first quarter coming around to put a tackle on him and uh, his lead blocker was a guy about the size of Justin Scoggins. So probably five, six, five, seven, something like that. Um, and just put a hit on me, unlike one that I'd felt, uh, maybe ever. Um, and I don't know if it was just the angle he caught on me, but he was just lead block and he wasn't even the ball carrier. And I remember that set the tone, unfortunately for us, for the game, that was a really lopsided game. And the worst part about it for me, uh, and this is again, probably kangaroo court worthy, but I ended up going to Kenson's homecoming that night and who is in my homecoming group, but the running back that ran all over us. And so he just held that over my head for that entire evening. So, so that day was not a fun day for many reasons. Um, but ultimately, uh, yeah, tough loss and, and Aurora, if I'm not mistaken, went on to advance pretty far into the playoffs that year. Um, they had a, a great squad and they were fast. Yeah, they had um, many options to hand the ball to. They were really good up front. And I remember hearing about this game where sort of from a defensive approach, we were like, we're going to bring Jeff from safety and bring him down into the box and bring an extra piece there. And so that we have no fewer than eight in the box for every play. And some it might even look like nine because Aurora just packed and I think they were doing a lot of capital I and uh, yes. even full house stuff. And so it was basically, let's see if we can uh, stack up to them and uh, slow them down. And they were, uh, they were still popping and moving the ball down yeah. the field on us. That yeah. was tough. Yeah, it was a tough one. It was a tough one. So did you have something else to say about Not that? Not on Aurora. I was going to go to Perry next. Yeah. Yeah. So for Perry, um, and I know this one's been discussed on a couple other casts too, you know, gets us out of our rhythm a little bit. One, we're on turf. Um, and so we're all trying to figure out, uh, you know, let me actually go back and tell a, another quick side story of, of entering Hawkin from Kenston. Um, Kenston, strong program, but every single person had their name on the back of their jersey. Um, and I remember coming to Hawkin thinking, when are we going to get our names put on? Um, and it was a, a quick lesson and a strong lesson that the name on the back of the jersey is never more important than the name on the front of the jersey. Um, and so as I, as I thought about that and fast forward to, to Perry, um, I learned very quickly that, one, you weren't going to have your name on the back of your jersey because Hawken was the only name that was important. 
two, we were going to dress uniformly. We were going to have team shoes, team socks. We were all going to look the same and we were going to, to march together. Um, and so Perry is the first time my senior year where we're all scrambling, trying to find shoes that'll work on turf. We're all going and, and, and we just came out for pregame and we looked dis in disarray. We, as far as what I remember and prided ourselves in being clean and, and looking identical, um, that was the first time we changed a little bit of that. Second thing that, that just got disrupted that you talked about in some of your other casts, we're no longer claiming the field with mud. We're claiming the field with water, which for all good reasons is, is appropriate. And you don't, you know, <laughs> want to deface their beautiful turf field. Um, but, you know, just had a, a slightly different feel to it. Um, and, and the only other real thing I, I remember about Perry is I, I think it was right before halftime um, your brother came around the edge. I want to say it was on a waggle, um, and got popped pretty good. And he came up for the next play, um, and clearly was, was not entirely there. Um, and I want to say it, it was a good thing. We went in for halftime shortly thereafter, but I remember him taking the signal. Uh, it was probably D relay or somebody that ran it in. Um, and at that point he looked at me and it was very clear that he didn't know exactly what play that was. Um, and so then, then I start thinking, you know, is it the turf that led to the, the concussion? Is, I don't even think concussion was a word at that point, but right. um, <laughs> you know, it, it was, uh, it was an ugly loss. We ended up not having your brother fully with us for who was, you know, a, again, a two-way starter and hands down our, our, um, the leader we looked to most when, when things got interesting. Um, and that game just ran away with us as well. So, so now we're, two and three, which is not at all what we expected um, at this point in the season. And not only two and three, we've had three big losses, um, you know, double digit, hard to recover from losses. Yep. And so we really had to look in the mirror and try and figure out what is it that we're going to do with the rest of the season. Yeah. So you go back to uh, your comment about names on the back of the Jersey and that, uh, that was something that was never even up for discussion. I'm, I, I'm sure there were many senior classes over the years that tried to uh, persuade or give explanation to my dad about why they should put names on the back of the Jersey. And that was never, ever going to happen for the reasons that, you know, you had said, and for, for him also uh, the Jersey number one was not an option because of uh, just kind of the, the stigma that it had about number one. Um, and that person sort of having this, sort of swagger of being the number one most important player out there at all times. And so that really wasn't in the, uh, in the equation for jerseys that were available. Fast forward to now with uh, head coach uh, Brian Stevenson, and he has done a really um, cool thing by incorporating the number one jersey into our current uh, offering and roster. And it's actually, it's a voted on honor and it goes and speaks to our um, characteristics of rich, which stands for relationships, intelligence, character, and humility. And so that recipient of the number one jersey is the person who embodies most those four qualities moving forward to the team. And so um, Coach Stevenson took it as a way of this is kind of what a lot of people kind of refer to it but we're going to take it and we're going to spin it and put a nice little positive on it. And this is what it means to our team. And is that a game by game decision or is that a seasonal decision? Season. 
Yeah. I tell you, um, you know, whether it be sport to sport, season to season or class, um, traditions are so rich. And uh, anytime you, you transfer from a coach that had the tenure of your father to a new coach, you always wonder what's going to stick. And, and then you also just have societal changes um, that, that lead to, to different different things. And each class wants to have their own mark. And uh, I'm not so naive to say that traditions should never change. They should always evolve. But um, some of those traditions are pretty unique. And, and I'm glad to hear that some of them remain strong. While there have been new introductions, and I think it's appropriate. And so that's a great example of how you can continue to change what someone in the past may have had a super strong position on and, and make it something that, that you can all get buy-in into. Yeah, definitely. Uh, back to the season, sitting at two and three, like you had mentioned. And now we have a, uh, a pivotal moment in the season where we're on the slide offensively. We're at six points in the last two weeks against, like we, we said, these huge, powerful opponents and uh, kind of feeling a little dejected for sure. And we have a Newberry team coming up here in week six. And... Uh, they got a horse at running back by name of Yates, last name, I believe, Justin, first name. And uh, for that late 90s era, this guy was News Herald, rushing yardage, and touchdown scoring legend. Um, I think he eclipsed the 2000 mark at least once. Um, this guy was a stud, and he got the ball quite a bit. So we have a game in which... Um, the Hawks get back into the W column by way of 42 to 41. And I am uh, really looking forward to how you explain your memory of the finish of this game. Yeah. Well, let me explain that it's the only memory I have of the game. Uh, again, going back to the fact that concussions and, and Susie was the name of our trainer that year, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, did a great job, but uh, you know, you just played under different elements at the, at that point. Um, Pre-game, uh, we're, we're claiming the field, but we're, you know, doing it nonchalantly and we're catching passes and things. And um, I go up for a jump ball um, that I want to say Osborne or it could have been Jeff threw to me. And I go head to head, literally head to head, no helmets, no pads on or anything with Dykstra. Um, and don't remember anything from that game except for the last pivotal play of the game. So Dykstra hits you with a sucker punch at one point and then mountain rams you in midair. Um, <laughs> I think you and uh, Dusty need to get a little bit of a uh, distance between you. That's the brotherly love though. That's, that's exactly. what makes that so special. Um, you know, some, some unique things going into preparation for that game. Uh, I went from Hawk to nose tackle that game. Um, and the thought was, let's try to move some pieces around. Let's get some more speed on the outside faster than me. Um, and let's also see if we can get some speed on the interior and not worry so much about size. Newberry as a school wasn't any bigger than, than Hawken was. And so I think we had comparable size programs, um, which usually means you got people like myself that are probably not your stereotypical offensive guard or, or nose tackle center, whatever it may be. Um, and so I worked with Moses and, uh, coach Davis quite a bit that week to try and figure out how do I 
shift from being trained to get into my stance and block to how do I be disruptive in the backfield, at which I, I, I don't recall being very successful, but I had a blast trying out new moves to try and get in there. And, and again, I could have been very successful. And I never would have remembered because of the, the pregame synapses. But um, with that, uh, gutsiest calls I would presuppose of, of your dad's entire tenure. Um, we're down and it's back and forth. We ended up winning the game, as you suggested, 42-41. But the way we won it was we went for two with, uh, with the closing drive. Um, and I think your dad recognized that we weren't able to stop Yates, um, your dad and Moses. We hadn't successfully done so all game. They were marching on us, and, and yet we had answers, which was great. Um, and, and I also believe that there were some other names that, that came up bigger in that game on the offensive end. Um, you mentioned Matt Roth earlier and a couple of the other guys that were underclassmen that continued to build throughout the season. Um, and so Ultimately, we went for two on, on the last play um, that I remember offensively of the game, uh, ended up coming up victorious. And it was, a, if I'm not mistaken, it was a, a close call. And frankly, we drew them off sides. And this is all coming back to me right now. Um, and so we went from going from for it on the three-yard line to the yard line and a half, and we ended up punching it in for the win. Uh, but, man, what a, a great way to get back on the victory board. Um, and, and balance the season out, um, three and three. So in a matter of a week, you shift from strong safety to nose. And I hope, uh, between coach Davis or coach Moses, one of the first things they say is you have zero pass responsibilities here, Sean. So <laughs> you do not move backwards at any point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't want you reading receiver number two or three or first to leave the backfield. Just go. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Apply pressure forward. So we are uh, evened up at three and three and the following week. Now we have a game against Cardinal and, uh, the good guys are victorious 42 to 14. Yeah. And, and that one um, outside of feeling like, all right, we're, we're marching again. And, and, you know, it's, it's funny, the, the nuances or the, the traditions, I guess might be another word or, or uh, superstitions, I think is the word I was really looking for um, that you think about and you have. And, and I, I remember distinctly every time we were moving the ball down the field in any game, um, the first, first thing that came to my mind is, all right, now we're marching. And I remember saying that a lot, that game, um, it just felt like every, every possession we had, we were, we were executing. And, and if I'm not, again, correct me if I'm wrong, I think we were pretty well balanced on the air attack as well as the ground attack on that one as well. Yeah. We had a little bit more through the air, but we went for 358 on that game and, uh, moving the chains a lot like you were talking about and actually on third and fourth down we were nine of 11 so anytime you're 82 percent in your conversions of third down and if it gets to fourth down uh, it's usually a pretty good sign that uh, the offense is clicking that day yeah no doubt and i remember um pulling for osborne quite a bit on some powers to the left um i was left guard and uh I remember on several of those literally coming around the edge, looking for a linebacker and there was no one there. And so I just escorted him into the end zone on, I think two separate plays that both went for more than 20. I could be wrong on that, but um, just having a blast with that and, and feeling again, like we, we'd recapture a mojo that 42, 41 close game. 
win was a big one to shift the momentum back in our favor. And then we demonstrated how we were going to get after it the next one. So you were at left guard. Um, can you take us from left tackle to right tackle who those starters were up front? Yeah. So um, we, we had a couple different pivots throughout the season due to injury. Um, but Kyle Knox um, and Arun Koto were typically on my left. Um, I was left guard. Uh, and I'm going to go through the weights here again in just a second, but, uh, and then we had Richie Carter who was center and on the right half, um, that's where we had West rule at right tackle. Um, and then typically, um, Jason Roberts, who was, uh, right guard. Yeah. So Wes Wilson at right tackle and Jason Roberts at right guard, um, two of the larger offensive linemen we've had two of the more skilled offensive linemen we've had and just, uh, as, as they continue through their varsity careers, just responsible for so many yards on the ground. Yeah. Those boys, uh, so so I'll go in order of right to left. Wes, my sophomore year, and, and it was incredible. He actually trimmed down considerably by his senior year, but was 330. Um, Roberts was 275. And then you had the, the big gap in the, the line, uh, Richie weighed in at 190. I was a buck 55, maybe a buck 60. Um, and then between Arun and the other guys, they were 235, 250 pretty consistently. So we had a huge, for a small school, we had a huge stacked line. Um, and then we had, you know, this, this big dip, not only in height, but in weight between Richie and I, um, which was good because at that point we knew where they were always going to attack and, and going back to, to game one, um, I, I don't know why we waited till literally pregame for, for this education. I think it was coach Christie recognizing that I needed to take some additional approach if I was going to be able to protect Jeff. Uh, and literally again, moments before we've already gone through warm up, and Christie calls me over. He goes, let me show you how to cut block. <laughs> uh, and literally that was the only thing I think that saved Jeff on, on a good number of those occasions there were a couple when we get to the Kirtland game that um, didn't go as planned where they, they blitzed my gap, which was unfortunate and led to some disruption. But um, anyway, I digress. It was a huge line, a lot of uh, love for each other on that line, a lot of support. Arun went down with a, an injury, and I remember we all wore armbands for him, number 70. And um, it, was a, it was a unique, as I think so many lines are, but a unique brotherhood, if you will, where, where you're there to support one another through injury or, or shift around and, and help support each other. Ryan Osborne had a good game, 40 yards on uh, four carries and also 52 through the air on four catches. Um, and Dusty, Dusty Dykstra had another game of eight catches, 122 and three receiving touchdowns. So Dustin Dykstra with a, uh, another solid outing through the air and, after that Cardinal game, that brings up uh, Berkshire, a game in which um, – actually, let's go back to Cardinal here for a second because I think you're letting us gloss over one of your uh, sacks senior year. I don't even remember that one. <laughs> yeah, I got you down for a sack in that game, so you might not remember it, but hey, for the listener, Sean had a sack in that Cardinal game. Uh <laughs> week seven so it was it was incredible big one yeah it was a big one. <laughs> game eight uh game against berkshire in which we put up half a hundy uh 50 to 34 is the final score and uh 
a game where we were able to kind of do what we needed to uh, whenever we needed to on offense. Yeah. And, and you know, again, Berkshire, um, pretty similar to Newberry, um, similar kind of demographic that they're pulling from and, and also geographic footprint um, and just a smaller, smaller school. And, and sometimes like Hawking, those smaller schools come through and put teams together. And, and luckily for us, uh, Berkshire, we pretty well owned the, the three years that we played. Roth goes for 120 on the ground. Dempsey goes for 95 on the ground. Osborne goes for 87 on the ground with two touchdowns as well. Osborne also gets 58 through the air on four catches and a touchdown. So uh, back-to-back games for Brian Osborne that are uh, really strong both in the uh, ground and through the air. And uh, Jim Dempsey getting that 95 on the on the ground, almost eclipsing 100. That's uh, that's a big uh, that's a big outing for Jim right there. Yeah. Well, and, and I, there were certainly some laughs about that after the game, and I can't remember exactly what the the situation was. If he he broke, I, I feel like he didn't have just one. I feel like he broke a couple of them. Um, but ultimately, uh, anytime that you can balance offense to your point across that many participants one i think uh, is a testament to the fact that we weren't trying to run scores up or or do anything like that um and and again it just shows that we were fortunate enough that our game plan worked that our preparation had worked and that we had uh, enough talent to to move the ball around and still come up victorious Berkshire gets a couple at the end and uh, they're kicking the onside kicks after they're scoring on our, you know, our twos on defense. And so they line up their onside kicking team. And so we, we don't have a, a reserve hands team. So we put our hands in and uh, they kick an onsider and Dykstra takes it to the house 49 yards. You don't see the onside kick go to the house too often, but uh, Dykstra had one of those to uh, his credit. Yeah, you know, Dykstra had uh, fast forward about six months um, to our lacrosse season, uh, which was the, the first in Hawken history, by the way. And at that point, it wasn't even a sanctioned team. It was a, a club team. Um, but I think the only other time I saw Dusty run faster than he did on that play, and I had forgotten about that play until he just brought it up, was uh, one of his face-offs. And I, I think he had the, the fastest score in Ohio lacrosse history at three seconds where he he won the face, took off and popped it right in the goal. Um, but, but both of those, I distinctly remember his celebration afterwards um, and just, you know, circumstances led to celebration for both, which was great. And we just fun times. Sitting at five and three with that week nine opponent of Grand Valley and getting the 35 to 20 victory over the Mustangs. Yeah. A a couple things um, ring true about Grand Valley. And and again, this isn't just unique to our, our year, but man, that's a hike to get out there. Um, (laughs) Sure is. But but what a beautiful setting. And um, I I also distinctly remember that the tribe had a big game that night. Um, And for one reason or another, there were people on either side of our, bench area that had radios that are listening to the game um and i remember getting somewhat frustrated with the underclassmen who were asking them about the score and things not not focusing on our score um but ultimately when you you come out on top and then have uh, a long bus ride of tangs um it's uh it's a fun time and and again the other thing i remember about grand valley um in particular is 
they had two brothers, the Hart brothers, who were incredible wrestlers as well. Um, and so seeing them on the football field, going up against them in multiple sports, beginning to build a little camaraderie across sports um, and some friendly competition. Uh, I, I, for one reason or another, Grand Valley was the first time I remember that that occurring with consistency. Nice. Uh, another game where the offense was clicking, going just over 400 yards, and another game where third and fourth down conversions we hit at 82%, nine of 11. That is uh, that is moving the sticks, man. That's that's good execution. That's good play call. That's a lot of stuff going on to be that successful on third down. I'd, I'd like to say it was my uh, my <laughs> polling that opened up the holes for for my my brethren in the backfield, but uh, let's be honest, we we ran a lot over Wes and Jason on that right half of the, the line. And I, I did pull quite a bit um, to, to do the kickouts, but um, anytime your, your line averages, you know, 250 plus, and you've got some skilled backs and it's not just about the running game. Um, we ran a ton of waggles that year too. Um, and, and so Jeff to have a, a big target, not only in Osborne, who sometimes coming out of the backfield, sometimes coming out of the slot Dykstra out on the edge. And then, you know, it doesn't get a, a ton of praise, but ours at tight end. Um, and then we also had Jason Deroulet, uh out on the flank that had some wings or some wheels to him as well. Um, so a lot of options uh, and, you know, a, a good amount of protection for Jeff when I, uh, when I wasn't getting run over. That's a group effort though on those power plays, man. Yeah. The right side, the big right side of the line might be uh, moving that defensive line down but you're pulling up that hole and you're getting to the second level and you got to get, you got to get on a man or else yeah. uh, that tackles happening in the hole. So it's a group effort right there. No Roth went for 88 on the ground and a touchdown. He also went for 74 on two catches, including a 57 yarder um, through the air. So big game for Matt Roth there. And uh, another game for Osborne where he's kind of sitting right around that 80 yard mark. He went for 87. So uh, good. Uh, Good sharing of the uh, load there offensively for the Hawks. We're going into week 10, sitting at six and three. Big game, big matchup against the Kirtland Hornets, who are the preseason favorite for um, the CVC there. And as far as the smaller schools, that was the team that, uh, you know, you can mention a lot of names on that roster around that time there are some big names in Kirtland football history and uh, this, this was a big matchup this one got a lot of press going into this game and uh, the possibility of postseason uh, implications are hanging around and we head out to Kirtland and uh, close I remember uh, driving back from college for this game to see Jeff's last high school game and to see you guys play uh, close opportunities that were just out of our grasp that we were close on, but uh, Kirtland ends up winning with the uh, 28 to 14 uh, loss for us. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned it, but um, coming into that game up and down season, momentum's in our favor, six and three, uh, at a time where we, we were two and three. So we, we've won a couple big games in a row. Uh, confidence is certainly on our side. 
we installed a lot of packages that week that we felt really strongly about. And, and I don't think the score does it justice, at least not from my perspective, as to, to how close that game really was. Um, I remember, and, and I'll, I'll self-reflect on the negative first before I jump into the positive, but um, guy that wrestled, uh, I want to say 171, um, was lined up against for me Swindell or something like that. I can't remember exactly what his name was, but he had 30 pounds on me, 20, 30 pounds on me. Um, and I remember he got underneath me a couple of times and I was cut blocking. So, I mean, it, it wasn't that he was moving necessarily too far back to blow up the backfield, but literally reached underneath me and caught Roth on two plays when we were inside the 20 um and and i i just remember thinking I'm, I'm laying on top of this guy and he's still blowing up the plays how what else can i do here and, and i clearly have to do something different um and I, I remember feeling like i let roth down twice and that was uh running into halftime um two other plays that, that really stick out from that on a negative front uh and i'll, I'll be sure to refrain from using names here but we had uh, a gun punt formation um, which again was our, our fake punt formation, but Jeff still knew how to pooch punt if he needed to. And, um, one of our receivers, and, and I, I distinctly remember this playing out in my mind, uh, like, a an early eighties Browns play where Michael Jackson stepped onto the field at the last second, no one was covering him and, uh, took it to the house. And, um, this, this receiver, um, stepped onto the field and, um, literally no one, zero coverage on him. Uh, Jeff lobbed it up and it was just one of those Paulitis moments. It wasn't me. Um, but, but it could have been anybody where, you know, just the adrenaline was rushing, literally not a single defender in sight. And it went right through his hands. Um, that would have been, you know, going into halftime up um and potentially put us up 21 i think seven at that point in time but uh second play was something over the middle again beautiful pass by jeff through the hands of a receiver off of the helmet picked off um literally bounced straight off the helmet into the air and and they got nice off of it and football is a game of inches it's a game of big plays and and sudden changes and those were two super deflating plays that, um, stick with you 20 years later. Um, but ultimately, you know, whether it was, and I was sure to call myself out for my mistakes first, cause I think it's appropriate that you never point the finger. It, it was a team loss. Um, we all had mistakes. We all could have done things better, but man, it was a close game. And, uh, certainly to conclude, uh, a season where you were in contention for the CDC championship, in contention potentially, and we needed some other things to happen to go to the playoffs for the first time um, and to lose a game like that that was lost because of self-imposed mistakes. Uh, it hurt. It continues to hurt. And, and yet it's, it's also what uh, makes you a man and, and builds your character. Describe for us what that next 30 to 60 minutes spent on that field after the game is over. Um, the other team is unfortunately celebrating and we're not, and we know that the season is over and you are spending your last moments on a football field, albeit Kirtland's, but on another uh, football field with your brothers going through it for that last time. 
and uh, the realization of that. Yeah. Uh, your brother was the only one that, um, that I can think of right now that went on to play another game of football at all. Um, and I think we, we pretty much knew that going in. Um, I remember sitting on, we were driving uh, to end the game and I remember sitting on that goal line um, just kind of in squat position, looking up at the stands, looking at my, my teammates. <clears throat> I remember running off the field. Um, Coach Christie was 56. Uh, and when he played, I was 56. I don't know. That, I'm sure that there's probably players between us that also were 56, but to my knowledge, um, and he put the pressure on me. He said, you know, I never had a penalty in my entire varsity career. And I somehow got through my varsity career wearing 56. My, my previous number, when I came in as a sophomore, I had a penalty, I had a face mask, but uh, without one as well. Uh, just a, a quick aside on that. But uh, I remember him grabbing me by the face mask and pulling me in for a hug. Remember getting on that bus, uh, helmet still on. Um, soaking wet, by the way, it was, uh, it was kind of a rainy or, or it had rained earlier that day, but it was, it was not a, it was perfect football weather. It wasn't something that you wanted to sit in those clothes that were mud drenched and, and wet. Sure. Um, but I, I couldn't, couldn't bring myself to take my helmet off knowing that unstrapping was the last time I'd probably do that. Uh, and this is pretty hokey, but I still have mud from one of my cleats from that game um, that I keep in a little box of just my, my memorabilia from high school events that, that meant a lot to me. Um, you know, those are, those are lifelong memories that you build with your, your friends and your brothers and it hurts, but it, it also was, uh, was part of the magic and without that risk, there's no reward. So, you know, nothing ventured, nothing gained. Does hurt, and uh, it made you and makes you who you are. So um, you can't argue with that. Yep. And uh, so that uh, closes the chapter on a uh, six and four senior season. Um, one with many highs and some lows, and uh, a lot of moments where that offense and uh, defense were clicking together and uh, really showing a lot of success and bringing great uh, pride to that proud winning tradition of Hawk and football. No doubt. Two minute drill time. Let's dance. What was the significance to your Jersey number of 56? Uh, came in with three following your footsteps, transition to five, six, um, primarily because I had so much great respect for Christy. And, and when we made the determination I was going to move to guard, uh, I, I don't think I was even given an option. I think he just walked up and handed it to me, which, which frankly, I took great pride in. Uh, the fact that he was willing to, to pass that off to me, bring it out of retirement, if you will. Uh, I, I wore that one with pride for him as well. 4,800 and bench. What are you closest to right now? Yeah. I, uh, I, I actually went back through my yearbook the other day and it said, what is the thing you're most proud of? And I said, my bench press. And I, I, it's not even good. I mean, <laughs> but just the, the audacity to put that in a yearbook made me embarrassed. Um, and yet it's, it's clearly the thing I'm closest to right now as well. So we'll stick with that. What upperclassmen had the biggest impact on you? Yeah, I, I would say um, a couple basic and Sands are the two Sands because he taught me you could lead without your voice um, and, and show it on the field or on the mat. 
um, and basic just because of the, the hard hitting nature of what he did. He, Ryan Clark, and a couple other guys that year, I felt like really showed me a, a lot about what leadership meant. What play from your senior year playbook could you best diagram right now? Uh, probably the 945 waggle or uh, the, the rescue 911 slant. <laughs> Favorite sports movie? Ooh, um, man. My wife is in Ladybugs, and I hate to put a, a soccer playing movie out, but but because she's in that movie, it came up. Sorry. Uh, best player you played against? Um, either Rob Turner or probably Yates. Uh, can you name a song from your senior year game tape? Thunder. Nice. All right. Two minutes are up. You, dude, you gotta say ladybugs. I mean, if she was, uh, if she was in it, you gotta, I mean, there's no, there's no right answer other than that. No, no uh, the embarrassing thing is all I could think about was, uh, a, a female soccer team, which isn't embarrassing at all. A lot of great, great athletes there, but, uh, of all the great sports classics, I just had my kids watch, um, unnecessary roughness the other day. That was a blast. Uh, anyway. Uh, two that I didn't want to include in the two-minute drill because I wanted to hear a little bit uh, more from your response is favorite tradition. Yeah. Um, less of a tradition and more of a, uh, an action that I, I, I really embraced. Um, and it, it was two ways. Um, running the road pregame. Um, and then also walking out of that wrestling room under the concrete pillars as we approached the dirt road. And finding that melodic just march between we had, you know, lined up side by side, 20 deep. Um, and, and you knew once you hit your stride, you just heard that sound. And it was douche, douche, douche of the whole team walking in unison. Um, and, and that was, that rings true just of so many different things that uh Every every great game we we came into and every great game we left, you know the, those those sounds were were part of it. I can close my eyes right now and hear the sound of team whatever walking two by two down the road and hearing the cleats on yeah. that pavement. Um, it's it's just I don't know. It's one of those special sort of audio. Uh, memories for me just thinking about it and how cool that sounds when you just get everyone and just feeling like they're in unison and everyone's feet are hitting together yep yep and i don't know what the the traditions are today but i will tell you i've been back to hawking i don't know in the past 10 years probably 10 times uh and i know it's now a paved road but uh i've never once walked that road um with the exception of a pregame i had talked about this with someone else and um it's uh, if it's during the week, you are running it. And when I say it's during the week, I mean, pretty much year round. That's not just a uh, football season only thing. Yeah. So you, you jog that road for sure. Yeah. The other um, I was wondering about is what makes fudge good? Yeah. Woo! This one zings a little here on me, Dan. So um, for, for my age and for those surrounding classes, uh, it was renamed Scrudge. And, and I won't dive into the details. Um, but needless to say, um, uh, we renamed it Scrudge and I, and I distinctly remember Billy Brown calling it Scrudge. Um, but to that end, uh, I brand new to the school, 
I think week two, I had fudge and I was dating um, Emily. Oh my goodness. Now this is even bad. I was dating Megan Riffle. The, the Riffle twins uh, had just transferred in as well. And I caught so much flack because they both played soccer and the boys would always say, all right, Sean, which one is that? You're dating one of them. You better be able to call her out by her name as she's walking down the road. <laughs> and and I, I mean, I had been there for two weeks. I had no clue which one she was. And I hope she's listening right now and laughing at this. But I asked her to make fudge and uh, she showed up that next morning with uh, empty hands. Um, and so I had to call 911 into my mom and say, mom, I need a favor here. And I'm fairly certain my mom went and bought a dozen Hershey's bars, melted them down, and we got fudge that was a quarter of an inch thick. And 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 the only reason I know it wasn't just Hershey bars is because it didn't have the Hershey imprint on it. But other than that, it was the same like brittle consistency, awful, no fudge at all. Um, so that makes poor fudge, I can tell you that. But but the memories made around fudge are what makes good fudge, regardless of what it tasted like stories that should never have been brought out right there should yep. not have said that just yep. like uh uh there is a episode coming up and we do not talk about it during this episode but uh there is a individual that as an underclassman was put with the responsibility of carrying the vessel and he uh left it at, at a uh, away contest. And so when he hears this, he will know who I'm talking about. I'm not going to say his name now. I will mention it uh, after his episode gets uh, released uh, shortly. Awesome. Sean, what are you up to these days? Uh, first and foremost, I'm a father. Um, and, and I will tell you, that is the biggest blessing, the biggest challenge that, that you ever can prepare for, whether you're on the football field or not. Uh, we have, my wife and I are blessed with four beautiful children, um, three-year-old twins, a five-year-old and a seven-year-old, um, and our hands are, are full for sure. Um, and you wouldn't want I'm it a, any other way. No, that's right. That's right. Uh, next, I'm a husband. Um, I married into an Irish Catholic family, and my wife and her four siblings um, all played D1 collegiate athletics, which means they're all better athletes than me, which, which pains me to say. Um, but it also makes family Olympics awesome because, uh, I just get to sit back and, and observe. Um, and then professionally, um, I just changed my role, but, uh, I've been in healthcare, uh, for the most part, since I graduated undergrad at CU Boulder, um, up until January, I was leading the disaster response efforts for 4,000 hospitals across the country, um, which, you know, 2020 will absolutely be remembered for COVID, but you think about what else happened that year, the most active hurricane season in, in history of hurricanes um, with over 30 named storms. We had the killer wasps or killer hornets that never materialized, but, but that was a big pandemic. We had the hoarding of toilet paper. Um, we had uh, something like 52,000 unique wildfires across the, the Western half of the United States. And so my role in healthcare is to, to drive supply chain. Um, and when you think about all the materials that are needed for fighting COVID, whether it be masks or isolation gowns or exam gloves, um, and then balance that with the fact that every single nation in, in the world was also fighting to, to try and find those items. 
it's no wonder we didn't run out of more things like toilet paper. Um, so it, it was a super engaging year. Um, it, it gave me a, an opportunity to uh, receive a promotion, which I humbly did in January. And now I'm leading a, a new e-invoicing and e-payables platform for those same 4,000 hospitals. Uh, so trying to accelerate their efficiencies and their order to cash and their profitability. So hopefully we can drive uh, improved patient care and not have them worry about the finances so much. Good things right there. Good Fun things, thing, man. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I enjoy hearing you talk about your role as a father and as a husband. And I can tell you with quite certainty that when my dad hears this episode, that will put a smile on his face. And it's, uh, it's stories about the the, the successes and the sort of the appreciation of the blessings of those two things that make him most proud. And it is not about an interception, uh, your junior year, two sacks during your senior year. Um, any of those statistics that end up somewhere on a piece of paper that some people know about and others don't. Um, but it's, uh, those successes in life, uh, after your graduation and just uh, using the impact and the vessel of football, the way that you were taught it and experienced it and to be able to apply those principles uh, in those two uh, most important roles. So I appreciate you sharing those two things. Well, my concluding remarks on my end, Dan, is uh, while your dad utilized his skill set most effectively on the field or on the mat as far as the development of, of young men. Um, for him, it was never looking back. It was never about the interceptions. It was never about the sport. It was about those life lessons you can learn. And, and I see a lot of that in you. I see a lot of that in, in your brother, Jeff, who I, I continue to stay in touch with. And luckily he lives just an hour south of me at this point. So um you know, those memories and the impact that your family has had, not just on Hawkins School, but Northeastern Ohio, and, and then you take each of those alumni and you spread them across the country. Um, there, there's no better person out there to have had that impact and nobody that I can think of uh, that has impacted as many lives as positively, uh, whether in the moment or years later, um, that I know of. So it's, it's with great honor. I'm, I'm excited to participate in this, excited to participate particularly with you, son of coach Walton. You're, you're coaching yourself. You're, you're following in his footsteps at Hawking. So thank you to, to you and your entire family. Yeah, hey. And, and before we adjourn on that one too, Barbara Walton is, is such a, a cornerstone and such an anchor. Um, and while she was, Never on the sidelines necessarily. Um, she was always in the, in the field or always, uh, or excuse me, always in the stands or always um, next to the mat. And uh, what an anchor she's been for, for the development of so many of us as well. The, uh, the role of a football coach's wife um, is, can't even put it into words, but the appreciation as a son who witnessed it and as an assistant who sees it, what it, what it is to our current coach, coach Stevenson, um, that position of being the wife of a head football coach is, is amazing. And there's so much there and there's so much there that no one really realizes what goes into it. And, uh, just, uh, thanks to, uh, all those coaches wives out there.
Absolutely. Sean, this was great. Um, really appreciate you coming on and sharing stories here and uh, walking us through your three years within the Hawken football program and what it meant to you. And uh, just hearing you share these stories, watching you tell them, uh, it, is, it is so obvious the impact that these shared experiences had on you and the formative years of a high school young man. And uh, I appreciate you coming on this trip down to the river and uh, all the best to you and your family, Sean. You as well, Dan. Thanks so much, my man. Thanks for spending time with us today. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Tell a friend and spread the word. And until the next episode, like my dad always says, good night, Irene.